<laughs> I love the birds and everything. I'm getting all of that. I'm sitting on the this gorgeous patio on, on this kind of chilly uh, day before Valentine's Day with Carmen from Tamale House East. Carmen, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, you know, to, to talk to me. Oh, you're so welcome. Happy to. So my name is Carmen Valera, and I'm one of the owner-managers of Tamale House East. There are five of us that own the business. We're located on the east side of Austin at 1707 East 6th Street. And we are open Tuesdays through Sundays from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Although we're going to start having extended hours on Fridays. So on Fridays we'll be open from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Um, you can find us. We have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter account, which is uh, Tamala House East. is pretty much the handle on everything we do. Um, we also have a Tumblr that not a lot of people know about. Uh, that's called The Musings, T-H-E. As Tamala House East, we're going to have our one-year anniversary on March 1st. So we opened a year ago, a very, very quickly, I mean, the year flew by. We opened a year ago right before South By. Um, and we just kind of got the opportunity. The space had been leased for the past 10 years by caterers who uh, opened a restaurant for a short amount of time and then they left to do other things. And we had this very small window um, where we, we had to decide whether to rent the place out again or whether we were going to do something with it. So very, very quickly, in about two weeks, we decided to open up a restaurant. We opened and uh, maybe a couple days before it occurred to me to get a sign it occurred to me um, we had to print up menus. I mean, it was very, very much like probably the quickest, most impulsive decision I've ever made in my life. But, uh, but we come from a family of restaurant owners and business owners. So we had had a family restaurant here before in the 80s called Mexico Tipico. So we, we knew what we were getting into, but it was just a very quick, fast decision to, to get into it again. Well, when we first opened up, we, um, we were just kind of taking a tiny space of our building. Our building has uh, 2,700 square feet, but we literally opened up in what used to be the laundry room. So it, um, we remodeled it really quickly, turned it into an outdoor space, and our entrance really became off of Fifth Street which is an interesting entrance to have. Um, our neighboring business also kind of enters through Fifth Street. Uh, Fifth Street back there was not a road until recently that it was developed into a road. Um, and we're just a block away from the Plaza Saltillo station, which is on the light rail. So it was kind of interesting being literally repositioning your business to have a separate entrance. Um, and people really kind of began to see that as an entrance. And we were definitely an outdoor place. Austin loves their outdoor venues, um, and I couldn't do a thing to make anyone go inside. The only way people would go inside is if it was raining cats and dogs. Then they were kind of forced to go inside. Um, but this past January, we had a bit of a cold spell, and at that point, we picked up, moved inside, and now we've kind of transitioned into a bigger space. And as our, as our business grows and our customers come back and, and we grow, um, we just kind of naturally grew into that bigger space. Come South By, we'll probably have entrances at both, one in Fifth and one at Sixth. Uh, the nice thing about our Sixth Street side is that um, we have a ton of parking. A ton of parking. 
which is kind of a rarity over here on the east side. So, um, but there are people who, for the longest time, regular customers who came in and they didn't even realize we had an inside space. They didn't even realize we had parking. Um, and the other nice thing about being in the back is that it really, really encouraged a lot of bicyclists, a lot of runners, a lot of people walking. Um, what you didn't used to see on the east side was families with strollers uh, and people walking their dogs. Like it really has encouraged that whole back entrance. Has, it has encouraged a lot of alternative transportation um, that people can just kind of walk up in the back, put their bike, you know, lock their bike up, and and have something to eat on the patio. Well, our food. Um, my grandmother opened up the original Tamala House on First and Congress in 1958. So she opened up the very first one 55 years ago on that corner there. And a lot of the recipes are, the way it kind of developed is that the recipes, many, many of the recipes are family recipes and it literally tastes the same as my grandmother's food. Um, and the main reason for that is that my mother worked with her mother since she was 15. So she was in the kitchen of Tamala House East, uh, of, or pardon me, of the original uh, Tamala House on First in Congress, Tamala House Congress. So she worked there pretty much until she married and moved away and then came back and opened her own restaurant. So they're family recipes that have been around forever. Um, but we also have another bit of an angle because mom opened up a restaurant in the 80s called Mexico Tipico, which was also in this space and which I've kind of come to learn um, had its own reputation and its own following. and. She was a bit of a visionary and a bit ahead of her time in opening up here. Um, at that time, you, it was mainly little, little bars over in this area. Um, people thought she was a little bit um, daring to be coming over to the east side. Uh, it, was a, it was a bit of a different east side at the time. But her influence in terms of the cooking and the food is that uh, my father's from Peru, and we lived in Peru for six years. And she learned how to cook Peruvian food from my father's mother. And my dad likes to joke that the only person that makes, he always tells us the only person that makes Peruvian food like my mother is your mother. And she's just a natural um, cook. She doesn't have a culinary background at all, but she's been doing it forever. And she just has a natural way about uh, food and flavors. And her big thing is she sautés everything anything and everything gets sauteed before it gets cooked. So some of the foods and the specials have kind of been influenced from her recipes um, and her way of making, of making food. But what we did was we, she'd been out of the food business for a while. She got a real estate license and was doing that. Um, my other brothers, one is a patent attorney, another one is an engineer, uh, my sister, works at an art gallery in New York. So we've all kind of gone, I used to work in movies and film um, and in retail. So we've all kind of gone off in different directions. So it had kind of been a while, like everyone, everyone in the family has a, a natural inclination for how to cook. Um, and especially the youngest, Robert, like he's very good at, at um, a lot of times we'll introduce something new and then he'll put the finishing touches on it. So the food, uh, we had been away from a restaurant for a while so right before we opened, we went to, we called it uh, Taco Boot Camp. And we went back into the kitchen of the Tamala House on Airport. And the Tamala House on Airport, I mean, we, we would not be here if it were not for my uncle, 
my uncle Robert Vasquez who owns that Tamala house because he was incredibly gracious and generous um, lending us everything from pots and pans to workers that were in his kitchen to kind of get started and he's very supportive. You can usually find him here on a Sunday afternoon when they're closed. But we basically went to taco boot camp and all worked in that Tamala house again. Uh, we went into the kitchen. We kind of figured out what had been changed, what has evolved over the years, what has been added, what's been left behind, so that we, so that our core menu was going to be very close to his menu. And and the fun part of the whole thing is that when my uncle originally opened his restaurant. It was my mother, his sister, who went in and taught him how to do all of my grandmother's recipes. So she had to kind of go back into the kitchen to figure out what, what, uh, what changes had been made. Yeah, the building is kind of a Spanish style. Uh, my father did all the designs and the, and the, the building of it. Uh, the patio is all original. It was changed a little bit to be a little more... Um, the landscaping has changed a little to be a little more eco-conscious than before. Um, before it was mainly just flowers and now we have some other, other plants and things in the garden. But the building itself, mom bought the land in, if I believe, the early 1980s. She, she bought the land then. Um, she opened up on Mother's Day and had a full house from the beginning. I remember I was here. I was younger, we were working in the restaurant, and we actually ran out of dishes. So we had to run back in there and quickly wash dishes because we weren't expecting such a crowd. Um, but the building itself, she originally bought the land. She, it was two lots over here on the east side, and she bought it. Um, and at the time, the city, I don't know if they still have them, but they had some loans for minority-owned businesses and for female-owned businesses. So she went, and she was one of the first recipients of, of those loans that um, helped her kind of get the startup to purchase the land. And then her sister purchased the land adjacent to her over where Yellow Jacket is, which is right next door to us. So together they kind of they bought the land at the same time. And then Kathy really helped to develop the road behind because it wasn't, it wasn't there. Gotcha. Um, but the actual structure, yeah, it's, it's a traditional uh, Spanish-style structure. You sometimes kind of don't see it from the road because it's kind of set in the back. It looks a little like the, the outline of the Alamo. Um, and a lot of times people would drive by, they thought it was a house or some crazy hacienda over here on the east side. But she had a long history of being in the east side. Before she was here, she actually grew up on 7th Street. Um, behind, there was a house behind what was uh, Tony's Tortillas, which I think is going to be the soon-to-open silo. Um, and they grew up there. So, so her family has been in East Austin for over 100 years. So when it came time to start a business, she kind of knew it would be here, even though at the time... Um, it was, it wasn't, there wasn't the same amount of develop, development that you see now. Well, I think a lot of the developments and a lot of the things going on around here are really, really exciting. Um, and we, I always joke that I, you know, if I don't have to leave the east side, that'd be great. But occasionally you do, because there's really great stuff outside of the east side too. Uh, a lot of it at first, I think, was propelled by the bars. Uh, there were a lot of Mexican and Tejano bars here that were slowly converted into now we have honky-tonk bars and dive bars and a few more upscale bars coming in. 
Um, and I think the way we always kind of, the way that we always kind of perceived development in my family was that it was a good thing and an inevitable thing and neighborhoods change and grow. Um, changes are made to neighborhoods. It's just kind of a natural part of the process. And I think in terms of development, uh, my mom and aunt were always kind of on the forefront of that. And they partnered with other businesses that were here already at the same time that they first started their businesses. My aunt owns Lebanon's newspaper and my mom had her restaurant here and they were both located here in their buildings. And I think the view that they always had on development, which is one that I, I think I admire and respect, is that it is going to be an inevitable. It is going to happen. You do want to increase traffic to the area. Um, you do want to have people who live here and people who are visiting here come and support the local businesses. But I, I always kind of think that the big part of development is that they just didn't want to be left out. And if it was going to grow, they wanted to kind of ensure that they and the other local businesses who wanted to stay here had the opportunity to stay here and who could benefit from all of the developments happening, like the road improvements and the telecommunication improvements. And I think it was always kind of a, a matter of saying, we're here, we don't want to go anywhere. How can we be a part of this development um, and not you know, not lose our properties. Because one of the things that happens, of course, when other businesses come in and properties change, hand, change hands is that property taxes go up. Um, so they've always kind of advocated for and helped other people try and advocate for allowing, allowing, I guess, allowing the growth to happen in an organic way that doesn't necessarily mean this whole neighborhood is going to change. Because at the point where an entire neighborhood changes, then what made it charming and appealing in the first place is gone. First open, some of our most vocal supporters, um, some of the people that kind of first came, um, we had friends tell us, do you know that you're developing quite an underground buzz? And I was like, what is this underground buzz? What's happening? And, and I think a big part of that um, came from a lot of the musicians in town. And we actually had this beautiful... A post on our Facebook page of a musician. I just kind of know him as his handle, Whiskey Bent, um, and another musician who's since moved away from Austin. And they both kind of expressed how the generations of Tamala House have literally fed starving artists, and how were it not for the Tamala House on Congress, and then the Tamala House on Airport, and now the Tamala House here, that they would literally go hungry. And I just remember feeling really um, touched by that and kind of having this connection that started way back in 1955 of having good, affordable, real food for people. Um, which I think is one reason that we definitely wanted to continue that tradition of having a menu that was affordable and accessible to people. Um, and that's kind of where we started. That was kind of our starting point for doing that. Uh, in terms of generations of people, what's also been really, I mean, I've heard, just kind of working behind the register some days, I've heard stories of, of uh, grown adults coming in and telling me stories of 
going to the original Tamala House on First in Congress as little kids, like when we were little kids and they were little kids. Um, and I remember one man telling me how his whole family, when my, when my grandparents sold the property at First in, Car in Congress, uh, Carmen Vasquez and Moses Vasquez, when they sold that property, that um, Hispanic families all over town cheered just because it was such a success story of the day and just feeling kind of that sense of pride in, in, um, in a family doing well. So I think that happens. And then the other thing that happens is that I have people come. I met a lady the other day who remembers right after she and her husband were married that they would go to the Tamala house and eat. And they would go there um, when they were dating on all their first dates. So that's kind of where they would go. And I've had, I've had grown men tell me stories of going to the Tamala House on First in Congress and literally, you know, tear up and, and cry and just kind of being really moved by um, having such a presence in Austin and a presence that even goes further back than that because my great-grandfather had Tony's Tortillas, which started in Houston and then moved to Austin and they were um, one of the first companies to be distributing tortillas. And... Um, Tostadas throughout the Southwest. So the family has a long history in Austin. We were approached by Scrumptious Chef um, R.L. Reeves to do a pop-up in our space. And at the time, I wasn't very familiar with pop-ups. I've since then learned quite a bit about them. There's an entire website about pop-ups called Pop-Up pop Republic which is based in, was originally based in London, and now I think they have offices in Boston, and they're kind of the first website and resource for pop-ups. So it was a phenomenon that started um, in London, kind of moved to New York, and in the beginning it was mainly about retail shops, and there was kind of a twofold thing to them. One was creating an event that was just gonna be there for a short amount of time, um, a store or a retail outlet would literally pop up in a space. And a lot of times I think it was a way to deal with, with a couple of things. One, one, it was a way to deal with spaces that were empty or that weren't being used. Um, and it was also a way to, if a, if a place was closed on a Mondays, it was a way of bringing something new and different into that space on a Monday. Um, so there would be these establishments that would literally pop up, kind of have a run, sometimes of a night, sometimes of a couple of weeks, and then would, would go away. And I think it moved from retail to restaurants and kind of became these events. And it probably started really being supper clubs, which were kind of a more expensive, you know, friends getting together in someone's home, having a dinner, having some wine pairings and having these kind of one night underground events. So when I first learned about the pop-up, it sounded really intriguing to me. And it was also a way, I think, for us to, we definitely, with Tamala House, we definitely wanted to continue that tradition. And Tamala House is a name brand and it has a recognition and people immediately knew what the Tamala House was about how long it had been here, the food, the quality of the food. It already had a reputation. But as the neighborhood changes, we're also interested in kind of bringing it to the next generation. Um, kind of the idea of the, of the same food, different hands, different, different people creating 
different things. And it was also a way uh, for us to be creative as well and to go beyond what our normal menu is. Um, in addition, we kind of saw events happening that were really, that could be kind of pricey and kind of out of someone's price range. So with with uh, R.L. Reeves' idea of making it an event that would be affordable to the working class, like, that really appealed to us too because it didn't bump up too much more from where we were in our own, our own um, philosophy, I guess. So we did the first one and it was so much fun and such a learning experience. And I remember we, we didn't have a whole lot of RCPs, so we weren't really sure what to expect. He definitely has a following of people that have been following him because he, he began doing his pop-ups um, out of Three Little Pigs. So he started in a food cart, so moving to do them in the food cart. So this was going to be his first brick and mortar, and it was great. And we had a huge crowd, and it was very, very well received. Um, kind of following along that same line, I, I really... I kind of learned how to develop and use social media as a tool for promoting those events and, and for getting word out about, you know, events and things happening at Tamala House East. So from that pop-up, um, we, did, we did another one with him, which went well, and then we did a Peruvian one, which that one was, I think that, I think around the second or third one was when it really, really just took off. Um, and the, the events began to sell out and really become a thing and really develop their own, its own following. And it's funny because a lot of people will come have breakfast in the morning and then they'll come back for the pop-up at night and bring their friends. And so it's really, really grown organically, uh, which is nice. And I like having something that's kind of word of mouth and kind of the buzz around it's it. Fun. Yeah, it's completely fun. And knowing that... Um, you know, you get on our email list and then you find out about the next one. Yeah. So since then, um, we've done a couple more. Our next one is going to be on February, on Saturday, February 22nd, 23rd, pardon me. Our next one is going to be on February 23rd. And this one will be really fun because we're teaming up with the Tapas Bravas crew who currently have two trailers. They have one on Rainy and they have one over at the Weather Up. And for this one, they're, they're branching out a little bit and they're doing a paella and some tapas that are different from their regular menu. And it's kind of exciting to see, I mean, the trailers were their first, their first trailers and to kind of see them moving into a brick and mortar place, I think is really exciting. And I think that that was kind of the, the theory behind doing these or the kind of the reason for doing these is and what I wanted to do, I think what I wanted to do was kind of a couple of different things. One is that we all have so much interest in the local food scene, and we believe so strongly in supporting local businesses, small ones, you know, more established ones, new ones. And a lot of times I'll partner with people who they're starting up too, and whatever I can do to support them, we can all kind of grow together. Um, so we love to go to other places and we thought, well, what about bringing those other places here and creating something brand new? I mean, it's been very, very exciting to have an idea and a concept and then you're sitting there in the middle of it 
And during the events, like I usually don't even have time to eat. It's just kind of a, a fun whirlwind of activity. Um, and at the end of the night, we usually all kind of sit down and, and have our first glass of wine and just kind of recap the night and uh, kind of, you know, have our, our fun then after, after the event is done because the day of just flies by. So the idea was to do some things with different chefs to occasionally do an in-house pop-up where we're doing the other foods that we love to make and do. Um, and then eventually, the idea is I'd like to get new talent in, either people who are cooks and have, have not done anything at the level of having a restaurant or having a trailer, and maybe their dream is to have a trailer, and it's a way to get them some exposure, get them in front of a group of people, to get them in the kitchen to do what they love. Um, and I think the other thing too is nurturing that, that new talent of, of people who are working in trailers doing the same thing over and over and again. And they kind of have some ideas and some things that they want to do. Um, and maybe eventually reaching out to some of the culinary schools to see. But just kind of offering, I think the whole thing about the pop-up that's just kind of amazing is that you're giving someone an opportunity. I mean, we can work with well-established chefs, like RL is a well-established chef. And we are happy and thrilled that a chef would want to come into our space and do that. And the other side of it is giving someone who doesn't have the money to open up a trailer or to open up a restaurant, giving them the opportunity to really come into the kitchen and be creative and, and do what they do best. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's shift gears. We, 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 that's, that's good stuff. Um, let's shift gears into, into your, your foray in the social media. You got yourself an iPhone 5. <laughs> you, you mentioned earlier that you practically run your, your business off an iPhone these days. Yeah, my dad was definitely an early adopter of Mac products. I remember he had the very first, I don't even know what it was, but he brought it into the house. So we've always been about Macs. And then when I went out and worked in the world, we, it was all about, you know, Dell laptops and, and uh so I, I decided to go big and I bought, I was finally, I was like, okay, it's time to get an iPhone. So I went and bought, I splurged and bought the iPhone 5. And it's so funny because I really like can run a huge part of my business off of that iPhone 5. And it's definitely been a learning experience. And uh, I've been on a learning curve on, on using social media. And I've, become, I've just become a really, really firm believer in it. And I, I feel like it's really um, grown and, and developed my business. And especially a lot of the, I guess a lot of the um, internet friends that you make that are doing the same thing you're doing or are interested in what you're doing. And you kind of find a community out there and you're able to interact with people that when you're in your restaurant 24-7, you wouldn't necessarily have the time to do. Absolutely. Um, well, that's how you and I met. I mean, you, you and I started Twittering back and forth, and, and you put your name, Carmen. You know, Because that, that's sometimes on Twitter, you're not really sure who you're talking to. 
because I, I branded mine Win in Austin, you've branded Tamale House East, and you're not really sure, are you talking to the same person every single time? Are you talking to multiple people? You know, you know. so sometimes when I do talk to someone, I put my name on there, much like what you did, just on that. At the you beginning, know. I put my name so that they would know if something exceptionally silly was being said, <laughs> that my poor brothers wouldn't get, um, right. you know, wouldn't I, get I, blamed for it. But I did have, I mean, I did have the good fortune of when... I first started, I, I basically had two mentors that really, really helped me. And I'm such a firm believer now in, in especially if you're a new business or starting out or new to social media, find someone that can help you. Um, if you can't find someone who can help you, find someone who is similar or doing, or you can see they're getting results or they have a lot of followers and kind of look and see what they, what they do and how they do it. Um, so I was very, very fortunate, and I had a good friend who uh, does social media. She kind of set the account up for me and did everything the correct way, even something as simple as making sure all my logo fit in my icon. And, and it's funny because you see huge, I mean, I think I saw Rolling Stone the other day, and they're whole, you can't read the Rolling Stone. You just see the O-L-L. And I was like, okay, at least you know I'm doing something, I think, right, and that people can read it. Um, and then I had a, another mentor who was literally after me all the time and would send me direct messages, which I, it took me a while to even figure out there were direct messages. It also took me a, a while to figure out that you could have um, followers on Instagram because one day I looked and I was like, oh, I have 50 followers on Instagram. I didn't even know. <laughs> so, um, but with kind of having the mentor who would scold me when I did something that, you know, a faux pas or when um, I wasn't being effective or efficient really, really helped. So if someone's kind of new and starting out, um, there are also some champions out there that there are tons of local family-owned businesses and restaurants that don't know a thing about social media and I think other people who are savvy about that promoting them helps them tremendously and I think um, I mean I think sometimes these people are, are doing marketing and PR and the people that they're doing for it for don't even realize it or don't even know it so I, I found it to be a really powerful tool and I've also found it to be incredibly um, <laughs> it gets a little addicting. Yeah, my brothers, um, early on, they tried to they tried to stage an intervention and keep me for tweet keep me from tweeting, and I immediately tweeted about the intervention and the failed intervention, which they finally just laughed about. I think they didn't just didn't kind of they didn't get it either because they weren't doing it, and it wasn't until we had one event and they looked around and they said. Who are all these people? We don't know these people. I was like, see, it works. Yeah, it yeah. works. And using it, using it as a as a communication tool, than than this big shouting, "Hey, look at me, look at me!" But actually, knowing how to, and it, it's it's a learned skill, learning how to. But seeing Twitter more as a communication tool than a broadcast medium, I think is 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 one of the it makes you more real online or something yeah. well i think there's i think there's a lot of truth to that and a lot of value to that because at first i mean all you want to do i mean the natural inclination especially when you're new in a business is all you want to do is tweet about yourself and you don't really you don't get the nuance of 
I mean, if you're on the other end of it about it and someone's just doing that and not providing something of value, and by something of value I mean they're not entertaining you or they're not giving you information or they're not letting you know what's going on in your community, they're just going to unfollow you mm -hmm. because you're just a one-note lender. Yeah. But once you kind of realize that it can be a tool for an entire local community to support itself and to grow, um, then it's something different. And it becomes more fun. And, and I think a part of it that at the beginning, I think a part of it at the beginning is I was a little bit, I did have to kind of sit and think, okay, this account is a business account. It's Tamala House East. So is it me? Or is it Tamala House East? And do I speak in my voice and what I'm interested in? Or do I create this other entity that... Um... And I think you do a good job of doing a little bit of both. And I think that's, that's what I was alluding to earlier about sometimes when I put my name on things and sometimes I don't. Because sometimes you are kind of speaking, but ultimately it is your voice, right? You think? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, and sometimes I really wish my brothers would chime in on Twitter because they're really funny. I mean, they're, they're the ones with a real, real sense of humor, and they're really quick and witty. So I would love for them to contribute to it, but they kind of leave it up to me. Um, but at the end of the day, and, and I found this even, you know, not just on Twitter, but on Facebook, I think what people respond to the most is when you're genuine and you're real, and they can connect that there's actually person on the other end of it I find that I find that when I'm honest or when I'm just being silly or when um, I make a comment on like what's what's happening and when I'm really honest and really real I'm always amazed I shouldn't be amazed but that's when you get the most response because at the end of the day yeah we want you to come in we want you to eat um, we want to, I mean, we, we're a business, we want to make money so that we can continue to exist, but we mainly do it because we love it and because it's fun. And we get to meet all these amazing, cool people who are all doing all sorts of things that we admire and respect. You know, as we grow, we're, we're open from eight to three, but we're gonna to begin to have, um, the pop-ups I think have kind of inspired us to do more late night things and so on Friday nights we're going to start being open later we'll be open from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Um, and eventually maybe want to have some music and incorporate that with our events but I think the other thing I kind of wanted to mention was the fact that um, it's not just about working with local chefs it's so exciting although that that part is really fun um, and it's really fun to me to do what I, I think I just kind of love it when people can do what they love so when the chefs can come in and cook and do what's their passion and what they love, and I can come in and promote it and do the business end and, and have that opportunity to work with super creative people, that's what I love. But the other part that's just become really, really fun is working with all the other local businesses that we've worked with. Um, for the last pop-up, we worked with Eden's Cove, which um, is a hog farm in Cedar Creek. Um, that serve, that grew the hog, that basically we went and met the hog and were able to see the whole did process. You, did you actually go out to the farm? Yeah, we went out to the farm. I'd never been on a pig farm before, so it was quite, it was quite interesting and fun. Um, and it was really cool to see, to see that, like having not, I mean, having grown up in a city, 
Um, when we lived in Peru, there were chickens, but that was about the closest I got to to a farm and any sort of working farm. And, 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 and how big of, of a pig was this, do you think? Three, four, five, six well, pounds? Th well, the interesting thing about the pig, I'm not exactly sure how big, how much the pig weighed. It was a huge pig. We only actually purchased half of it um, because they only, they only slaughter a pig once a month and then it's, it's put up for sale and we, we only took half of it, but um, 86 pounds is of pork is what we had at our event. Amazing. And 150 pounds of food overall <laughs> is what was consumed. Um, so that was really interesting to me to go out there and, and just to learn a little bit about it. I mean, most commercially grown hogs only live seven months and these have to go to 14 to fatten up. Otherwise, they don't get to weight, to market weight, because they're not pumped up full of hormones and steroids and, and all of that. So it takes a little bit longer. But what's been really, really also exciting to me is just keeping it super local. And sometimes we literally just keep it to the 78702. I mean, we're that local. Um, when we, for that particular pop-up, we also got our produce from Mrs. Johnson's backyard. Um, we got our beer for that one. We were able to work with St. Arnold to get the beer. We went at the, the fine butchering was done at Salt and Time. I mean, they literally had just opened their doors two days before. They'd been at Hope Farmer's Market, which we're also excited is coming to Plaza Saltillo. So, they had been at Hope Farmer's Market, but they literally had just opened their door maybe two days before, and they were able to do the butchering services for us. Um, we were able to work with, who were some of the other people we worked with? Oh, we've had a, we've already kind of developed a relationship with Easy Tiger. So it's all places that we love and like to go to and frequent, and it's just kind of great to be able to support them and even even for the last event the day of I think I read I read a tweet that Antonelli's was celebrating um, their three-year anniversary Antonelli's cheese shop had their three-year anniversary and they were giving away free cheese plates and all of a sudden I just got cheese stuck in my head so literally on Friday the day before the event I called and those their wholesaler was out of town but those women were amazing I told them my menu they were able to get the cheeses for me pair it with the meal um, and did a fabulous job of, of getting it to me in just a few hours um, in addition Easton Wine Sam Hovland up at Easton Wine has been amazing at kind of guiding us and doing our wine pairings so it's kind of an opportunity when you have a restaurant there's so many places there's so many great amazing new places that I, I don't really go to because I don't have the time. I'm either here or I'm thinking about the restaurant or I'm tweeting about the restaurant or I'm doing Facebook pages or I'm doing press releases. <laughs> and, and in the process of being on Twitter, I hear about all these great, wonderful things. So, so I guess in a way, if I couldn't go to them, it was a way of bringing them to me and of bringing them over to the east side. And it's like having a big old fancy party where I get to invite all my old friends, new friends, soon-to-be friends, <laughs> and, 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 and all partake of, of everything that, that Austin has to offer. Carmen, I want to I thank you for, the, for your time on this beautiful day here in, in East Austin. Uh, I wish you much success for the rest of 2013. Thank you so much. When in Austin, you've been, you know, you were one of our, 
our followers from early on and it, it's been really fun to actually be able to meet you and, and put a face to that Twitter handle.